0: Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Trevor McNulty continues our series on the Apostle Paul's letters to the church at Corinth. Today looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 15 through 27. And now, here's Trevor. Well, good morning everyone. Um, sorry, I'm a little distracted. I'm on call and I hear my phone going off. Joe's grace- gracefully trying to answer it. So if someone can give him a hand there, that would be great. Um, so anyways, this morning we want to talk about uh, some passages, as uh, Dave and Vicki mentioned, that include uh, the race. Now, in our passage this morning... We're going to start at the end. Because sometimes going through that way can give you more insight into uh, make wiser decisions. Sometimes it allows you to cheat because you already know the answers and the outcomes. In this case, we're going to start at the end because to start at the beginning is kind of simply pointless. That in this case, depending on how you... Uh, look at the where you are in the last few verses of the chapter, that the first half might not apply. So we have to have the correct answer to the end. So let's begin. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? Sir, run that you may obtain it. Every athlete has exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, there are many types of races. Now, for this morning, I'd like us to uh, go back in our memory banks and remember those uh, grade 8 gym class races or school races, uh, the 4K. Whether you liked it or not, you had to do it. You, The whole school had to do it. So a small handful of runners were well-trained and excelled in this race. Others exploded off the starting line, trying to keep pace with the front runners. And just as quickly as they exploded off the line, uh, imploded with cramps, limps, and all sorts of things because they were not well trained and disciplined. Others in the race, they came off just, uh, you know, they, they had a little bit too lofty of expectations and tried to keep up with the pack and soon realized that was not going to happen. And they too grabbed their sides with cramps. And at, they walked the middle portions of the race. And then at the end, for a sense of self-worth and to feel that they gave it their all, tried this sprint at the last 100 meters just to beat the guy next to them in the grouping they were left in. And others, they just realized right from the start they were not well-trained didn't have what it took, and just said, you know what, it's a nice day for a walk. And right off the bat, (laughs) they walked. And they had no ambition to win. Then you get the others who uh, fake the injuries. They come off the line, and as quick as they can figure out how they, they start hopping or grabbing their their ankle or their calf, and fake a cramp. And when everyone else is gone and they're not looking, they go into the bushes to look for blueberries or a place to sit in the shade. And they wanted the appearance initially of, of trying to be in the race, but quickly found their way out. And then there's another sad group, the ones that skipped school on that day because they knew the doom that was to come. And... That is some of the examples that I've seen in the races that I had to take part in. And unfortunately for me, I was usually the one coming off strong and suffering from severe cramps not too far in and, and relegated to walking. But although I enjoy the humor of these uh, real-life race experiences, when you look at it from the spiritual side, There's some sadness to it. It's not funny anymore. Paul makes it clear that the spiritual journey is like a race. It also makes it clear that our race is much more important than any track and field race at school or in any race that we run in uh, in the physical realm our spiritual race has an imperishable prize where no matter what we win in the physical realm either it doesn't come with us when we die or it perishes a day or two after like the wreath that they uh, referenced in scripture So spiritually uh, speaking, the one that starts out great and strong for the Lord and burns out and fizzles after the first adversity they face is like the first runner I mentioned. Then you have the one that does not get uh, discipled. And that's like the second that that struggles and gets discouraged and can't truly find their way. And they miss to find their own calling, what they are meant to do for the Lord. And their walk is filled with frustration and not joy. Or how about the one that is spiritually out of shape and has no motivation and just walks right off the bat and, and is okay with that. And they basically do nothing to serve the Lord. Then you get the tragic ones that I mentioned that are, they want the appearance of being in the race and being legit, but they come up uh, on the physical side, faking the injury, but on the spiritual side, they, they just come out strong and fade quick or and hide in the bushes, or um, could be uh, the Christmas Easter Christians or the conference and retreat Christians that perk up once a year or so and then retreat back into their own ways. The most tragic of all of them is the one that, like the one that skips school on that day because they know a race is coming. They have spiritually no draw to be in the race. They have no connection to the Lord. And they are just, they're fine with that. And that's sad. And no matter who you are in life, uh believer or non-believer, we're in a race and it depends on how you answer the question Um makes a big impact on how you live your life. As believers, which this verse is talking about as encouraging, uh, we have to acknowledge that we are in that race, and we have to prepare as such. So Paul compares the Christian pilgrimage journey as a race. As I said, we all need to examine whether we're genuinely in the race, in our faith or not. If you're in the race, if you are genuine, you have fruit and that your life produces and shows. This race takes a lot of commitment. It's a lifelong race, a marathon. And we must be engaged in it and we must Discipline ourselves. And that's what the these verses are referring to. That every athlete exercises self-control in all things. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. When we look at that on the spiritual side, that is being engaged with believers, being engaged in prayer with the Lord, reading the scriptures, knowing them well, being fully engaged and pushing aside the distractions of the world. It is being fully disciplined and fully discipled and wanting and desiring that. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm kind of lacking in the physical, uh, athletic, bodily form, personally. If I slap my gut, my cheeks may jiggle. That's just the reality, Now, it is important spiritually to exercise. Now, just as in with the physical form of these, uh, of the exercise, it's the same type of excuses that pop up as to why I am not in the shape of an athlete. That creep into our spiritual discussions as to why we are out of shape spiritually. These excuses are not limited to uh, the ones I'm going to mention, but uh, these are fairly common ones that I don't have the time. I have injuries that make it hard. Family life is more important. I, have, I can't ignore my family to go work out. By the time family stuff is over, I have no energy left. And on and on and on the excuses go. Spiritually speaking, I don't think God has a sense of humor for our excuses. We cannot be physically or spiritually healthy if we're not committed to putting in the time to be disciplined. Physically or spiritually, when the challenges surface, we become like the runner panting for breath, Clutching their side with a cramp because we have not prepared ourselves for what's ahead. And Paul says, do you not know that all runners in a run, uh, in a, sorry, do you not know that all in a race that all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you might obtain it. Every athlete exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. As important as the physical health is to maintain, the spiritual health is so much more important. As Christians, we must put our primary focus on the prize that is imperishable. In verse 27, lest... After preaching to others, I myself be disqualified. Now, what is the reward that Paul is speaking of here? I think he is alluding to those who preach and teach for personal gain, for personal reasons of any kind. They want to look the part to be genuine, but they're lacking in the genuine department. And God knows their hearts and God will judge them for that. So they are disqualified from God's reward. This is a harsh judgment, like I said, that the Lord will make. And he easily identifies the fakes from the genuine. We are called to serve in God's earthly kingdom. The few who are called are called to be what we would consider in the ministry, the full-time But we are all called to serve. Not all are called to be evangelists, but like Paul, we have a crucial role. Evangelists or not, we have the responsibility to share in the gospel and do our part. But the physical actions mean nothing if we do not, if we are not in the right place with the Lord. So, why did I skip the first two-thirds and go to the last third of this scripture portion? Well, I believe that if you're not in the race, the other portions don't matter at all. It, um, so let's see what the first two thirds of the scripture portion that I've been assigned have to say. Let's look look at verse fifteen to eighteen. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, it gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity, it is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so that I do not make full use of my right in the gospel. Ted last week went over the first portion of this chapter, which discusses what those rewards are. And it is uh, crucial to point out that Paul was fully in his right to take these rights. To exercise these rights. He made the choice not to in Corinth. Unfortunately, Paul's example in this way has been misused over the years and has been used to demand that the unfairly of the people doing the work for God in the churches or in other ministry types. It's very clear in these verses that Paul opted not to use these rights, but fully had the right. So quickly, what were these rights? He had the right to food, to money, to lodging, to support of almost any kind. For years, I've heard of people passing judgments on people in ministries as to um, getting support and stuff, uh, it's it, it was baffling, very baffling to me. It's it's also baffling that the same situations I'm referring to, the people when they were discussing, the people who quote unquote go to work for a living, no one questions what they were able to secure. In those, in support areas or finances or anything. But yet there was an odd sense of judgment to those in the ministry. And that made my heart sad. It was, uh, it was very, very, uh, you know, not good. And I was personally, um, uh, dealt with those issues and they, the sad thing is, is that it hurts the individual, but it also hurts the ministry for God. And that we have to have it straight, that these people who serve in ministries have every right to be taken care of. And that is uh, very clear in the Scriptures. Now, as I mentioned, Paul in Corinth opted not to accept or use those rights that he had. But he did accept them from other churches, and that's important. That Paul did have support, did accept support. Philippians 4, it says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, No church entered into a partnership with me in giving, except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Aphrodite's, Sorry, probably mispronounced that. The gifts you sent me. A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So people were very quick to point out that Paul made tents in Corinth. But that was a choice of Paul. And to use that argument as a justification, not to support people in the ministry or to expect them to, uh, to, that it's to work alternate jobs and juggle this and juggle that. When people are called to different aspects of the ministry, not, like I said, not everyone's called to full time. Not everyone needs that support, but those that do. May we make sure to support them. And like Ted said, uh, talked about the muzzling of the ox. Paul makes it clear that that is wrong. And that uh, through verses 8 to 14, not, there is no argument for not supporting the workers. Rather, Paul's real argument seems to be whether supported or not. He will stop at nothing for working for Christ. He was entrusted with a stewardship over the churches in this area in which he brought the good news to, and he was not going to stop. That he was um, not, and he refused to accept certain gifts and offerings at certain times, more or less of protection of the ministry. Now, it's almost like he wanted to not be viewed as a traveling circus coming to make money and profit off off the off of the ministry, and be lumped in and grouped in to the group of false believers that were doing so. Second Corinthians two seventeen says this: For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity. As commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So he wrote that in his second letter to the Corinthians. So it gives a fuller picture of to what he was dealing with, why Paul chose to make tents there, why he accepted, uh, the gifts from the Philippi- Philippians. And, and it seemed like he had a, a practice of not accepting the, or using the support or the, the rights that he had in the areas that he was currently ministering to. Uh, and it seems that he did this as a way to protect the gospel, to protect the message, to not give any reason for people to have uh, a negative, false thought that the gospel is fully for free and always should be. And it should be supported by those that believe in the message. So if we go down to verse 19 to 23 it says for though i am free from all i have made myself a servant to all that i might win more t- to uh, more of them to the jews i became as a jew in order to win the jews to those under the law i became as one under the law though not being under the law myself that i might win those under the law Or sorry, in its blessings. So please don't look at these verses and ever think that Paul compromised himself, the message, or what he believed. Rather, what these verses are are getting to, what the heart of it is getting to is meeting people where they are. And the message doesn't change. But it's more about respect. Respect for the people, respect for the culture. Have you ever tried to win somebody over to any argument uh or to position and you you lead off with disrespect and an argument that insults, that doesn't work. So Paul, what he's saying here is he when he went to the Jews, he respected the Jewish cult. Uh, culture and customs but he did not leave behind what he knows in Christ but he showed them respect the same way when he was with the weak uh from my studies it, i don't think it was a physical weakness but it was more or less a um seemed like an intellectual thing uh or a a pride thing but he he didn't make himself he, he brought himself to where the people were at the time and brought the gospel to them in an accessible way. And that is one thing I see. And the reason that he took this approach is also kind of mirrored and imaged in Romans 14, 13 to 18. It says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do you not destroy the one for whom Christ died? So do not let what you regard as good be spoken as of evil. For the kingdom of God is Not a matter of eating and drinking, but is of righteousness and peace and enjoy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable and God and approved by men, so that so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That is what I think Paul was getting to with those verses that it was to not put stumbling blocks in the way of the gospel of the ministry of the message but rather allow God, once that person accepted who Christ Jesus was, to speak to them, to encourage them to to find the ways in which Christ says, you don't need to be under that law anymore, or you don't need to be in this way. But Paul was leaving that to Christ. He was not leading off with that argument to say, well, first you got to do this, 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 and this so that you can have Christ. It was Christ first, let Christ, let God deal with that, those other issues after. And you see through the letters that Paul writes, that's basically the purpose of the letters is to encourage the believers once they believe, <laughs> getting the order in order. So as I said regarding the last grouping of verses, 24 to 27, I hope it makes sense as to why I started now with the last, that all of those issues, whether you have the rights or how to work with the people you are trying to minister to, they don't matter if you're not in the race. So the question is today, are we in the race? I pray that we all can say yes. I pray that we can all say that we are trying to be like the athlete that is trying to train and to work and to build themselves up so that they are spiritually strong, so that they can get through the tough times in the race. And once we are in the race then we have to make judgment calls as to whether we are in a position where the rights of the believer even apply. That if you're in full-time ministry, that more speaks to you. If you're ministering, uh, you know, uh, as we all should in your own way, on your own sides, the a lot of those rights... Uh, your, your role is more or less to support those in the, who are stepping out in the calling and, and to make sure that we are in love, supporting the gospel, supporting those that are doing it. And I'm glad that this church does well in that way. So one thing though, That I want to mention is that please, uh, don't, don't get discouraged by this, but our race is more like a, less like a race that you would watch at the Olympics, more like a race of a soldier running through a minefield and snares and traps and mines all around them. And that's where your training comes in. That's where your spiritual uh, readiness comes in, being well-versed in Scripture as well, uh, having well support around you, being together as a unit. So I would encourage us all to view this like a relay race through the minefield, that we can't do it alone, that we need the support of others, that we need to to realize this is a long race, this takes time, effort, energy, and focus. And that we need to support each other through it. And then as we go through this race, that it's always keeping the eye on Jesus, the prize, that is imperishable. So that we go strong throughout the whole race. And as always, to God be the glory. Amen. I'd like to call up the worship team. This As we go forth, Father, we pray that you would uh, help us in your spirit to run the race in such a way that we would look to the prize that you have set for us. We pray that our lives may uh, impact others and that you would help us to come to a point where uh, we are common with others and we see their views and we respect them and and uh, engage with them uh, in that way. Help us to do this and help us to live for you this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.